Well, good morning and welcome to Epic. My name is Tim Jones and I'm one of the pastors on staff and we are so glad that you are here with us today. And can you believe how fast the summer has flown by? So the last time I was up here to give a full message, uh, our fourth child, Daniel, had just been born and now he is three months. And of course I have pictures, you know, what father doesn't have a picture. So yes, he is doing awesome, but time does fly. And speaking of time flying, Next Tuesday, September 20th, uh, Epic turns seven years old. Yeah, yeah, you can applause for that. So, can't believe it already. So what it means is when you turn seven, now you guys can have two free cups of coffee, okay? Just kidding, some of you are like, what? Oh, I'm only supposed to take two? No, just kidding. You can have as much as coffee as you would like, all right? So, but speaking about seven years, For seven years, we have been creating a church that focuses on leading people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ by being a church for people who don't do church. And so from the very beginning when we started Epic, we wanted to make a place or make a church that allowed people who were skeptics, allowed people who were seeking to be able to come in and check out God. We also wanted to be a church for those who had been gone for a long time from the church and who were returning and be able to re-engage with their relationship with God. We also wanted this to be a place for those who were growing in their faith to have a place to belong as well. So from the very beginning, we wanted to gather with people who were serious about following Christ, but we're taking just the immediate step that's right in front of them. Because when we look at Jesus's ministry and we look at his followers and we look at the early church, there was a wide spectrum of people that followed Jesus. And so on one side of the spectrum, you had people who were uh, skeptics, who doubted uh, who he was, but yet they continued to listen to him. You had other people who were curious about God and continued to come and check out Jesus over and over again to understand exactly what he was saying. And then you had some people who were serious about following Jesus, but weren't quite sure if they were all in yet. And then you had some people on the other side of the spectrum who were all in and they were growing in the relationship with Jesus, but yet sometimes they made mistakes and they continued to learn what it meant to become like Jesus. And so from the very beginning, we wanted to create a community of people who gathered together from a wide spectrum of people and take account of that and allow people to be able to take the step of faith that they needed to take. Now, when I look at today, it kind of brings up the importance of what I want to speak to us about. And there's one thing that has always been so important to us and that we will always believe in. And that's simply that circles are better than rows. And so we believe in that so much that we've taken uh, that aspect and have built that into almost every aspect of epic. And so we just feel like that's so important. So It's really important to us, so let's just say that together. Circles are better than rows. Let's say that together. One, two, three. Yeah, circles are better than rows because, you know, we don't have anything like against rows. You know, for circles, um, there are a lot of good things that happen in rows. Rows are great at starting things. They're good for vision. They're good for inspiration. They're good for teaching. But in circles, we learned something a long time ago. In circles, there's depth. In circles, you can be known. Someone knows your name, and if you don't show up, then someone will miss you. 
In circles, there's the power of someone caring for you. So something happens in your life, you get sick. There's someone who's calling you up and finding out what's going on and how they can help. In circles, it allows people to look after one another. So if something goes wrong in your life, there's somebody who's calling up and saying, hey, let's talk. You know, In circles, it gives us the ability to grow in our relationship with God, to pray for one another, to be able to share our doubts that we have, to be able to share our questions, to be able to say, hey, last week, I mean, did anybody understand Evan, you know, or Trent, or Tim, you know? And so it allows us to be in circles that are way better than rows. I mean, rows are good at starting things, but it's in circles that we are formed, we are shaped, we are refined to become the people that God wants us to become. Now, I love running into people, and some people that I run into, they say, hey, I, I went to your church, I love attending your church, it was great, the music was good, the message spoke to my heart, it was just wonderful. And as I listen to them, there's a part of me that says, well, you know, I don't say this out loud, but you really haven't experienced the church. I mean, you've experienced a row. You haven't really experienced a circle because churches are about circles. You see, church really happens down the sidewalk in Riptide where your first and fifth graders are meeting, where they gather together with a small group leader who talks to them about Jesus and they answer their questions and they care for them and they pray for them. Church happens over in the gym right now where pipelines mean where sixth, seventh, and eighth graders can meet with their small group leader and, and figure out what it means to be a Christ follower as a middle schooler. Church happens at four o'clock every Sunday afternoon where surge students in high school get together and are able to share in a safe environment their doubts and be able to figure out how am I supposed to live this life. And church happens in many homes throughout the week and in my home as well, where we encourage each other to live out our faith. Because if something were to happen and we weren't able to use this building, we'd be meeting in homes where we are about encouraging one another, uh, where we are about one another, because the church is about one another. The church is belonging to one another, caring for one another, growing uh, with one another. It's about looking out for one another. It's about praying for one another, and that's done best in circles. See, since the beginning, the church, it wasn't a building. The church was a people who gathered together because they had seen the risen Savior. And when they saw Jesus come back to life from the dead, it gave them a boldness to gather together and to go out and tell anyone uh, that Jesus could save them from their sins because he rose from the dead and that anyone could have a relationship with God restored because of what Jesus had done. And so early on, there were many Christ followers who would gather with people who had questions, who had doubts, and they would search the scriptures together. Sometimes Christ followers would get together in their homes and they would share a meal and they would pray for each other and encourage each other. And so the church was always a group of people who came together and believe that Jesus is the hope of the world and would share that with anyone who would listen and want to take a step in that direction. But unfortunately, as this thing got going, and in history, as Trent shared several weeks ago, the church took on a little bit of a different angle. You see, there was a German word used to describe the worship services that started happening. There were buildings that were built, and the word church comes from a German word that meant a location, a place of worship. And we forgot some of the original intention that Jesus had for the church. 
Jesus's original intention was that we would meet together and see lives transformed, to see them changed. And so that only happens in circles. And that's why we believe so much here at Epic about small group environments. Because today I want to, maybe you've never thought about this, but I want to unpack the power of circles because they are so valuable to us and it's the way that God has designed us as well. Now, if you're checking out God and you know, wondering about him, circles are important for you. You cannot do a true investigation without being in a circle. And so today we're going to examine that. Today, we're going to actually look uh, from a person who was well-versed in this. Uh, his name was Solomon. We're gonna look and examine some of his observations about the power of circles and relationships. And more specifically, we're going to zoom in on his observations in the context of our spiritual relationships. And so if you have your Bible today, if you would turn to Ecclesiastes, that's a long word, but it's, it, you can find it. Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse nine. If you have a smartphone device, feel free to use that. Um, it's a lot easier to find Ecclesiastes um, on a Bible phone, Bible app. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to get one in the back and grab one or share with somebody in the row if they'll let you share, you know, um, but go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter four. We'll also put it up on the screens, but it's great to be able to find it in the Bible um, because it's good to be familiar with it. So go ahead and turn there and then we'll uh, continue on. So as you're turning there, uh, let me give you a little bit of uh, some background information. So who is King Solomon, all right? So King Solomon was one of the most prominent kings in Israel's histories, uh, in, in their history. He had a relationship with God. Uh, God had given him the gift of wisdom. Maybe some of you are familiar with that King Solomon and his wisdom. Uh, but many people would travel from the known world to sit and to listen to King Solomon's wisdom that he had attained from God. And so this guy was famous, very famous. And um, later on in his life, he departed or he started to leave his relationship from God and because he got distracted in life. He got very distracted in life from a lot of different uh, avenues and a lot of different things that were going on. But it was in that part of his life that we're going to focus on and what he's writing to us, because it's in this part of his life that he is uh, revisiting some things that he knew, which kind of sound like common sense to us. Um, but as he drifted from God, as he got busy in life, he stopped having them in his life. And he really uh, came to understand the importance and the significance of these things that he had said himself. And so today... Um, you know, I'm not going to wow you. You know, what we're going to read today is, might not be, sound very profound. Um, but if we ignore these things or if we allow, you know, the things of this life to kind of get busy, um, there's going to be a part of us that says, hey, there's something that's missing in my life. And I can't like put a finger on it, but something's just missing in my life. And so today we're going to check out the value of being in a small group and the importance of it in our lives. So let's begin in Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse nine. 
Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Now he starts off with the simple truth. I mean, we get this, you know. I mean, when you go and wash the car, it's good to get another person, right? It goes a lot easier, a lot faster. Um, Some of you dads, you get this. Some of you dads kind of take advantage of this. Check this out. <laughs> so, uh, ladies, if you have a husband that does that, give him a little elbow right now. That's allowed in this segment. So, but you know, we understand this concept of two is better than one. You know, it's interesting how we allow this to play out in our lives. Uh, this principle. So often, you know, we apply this to our tasks that we have or our work. Uh, for some of us, we have deadlines or contracts that we've got to get done, and if we get behind, you know, we go and try to get help to get that thing done because we've got to get it done. Uh, some of you moms, you totally understand this. You know, you've got uh, to be in two places at the same time. So you call up your friend and say, hey, could you take Johnny to the ball game, you know, because I can't be there because I've got Rachel's ballet recital and all that. And so you tap into that. Uh, some of you guys, you understand this. You're mowing your lawn and all of a sudden... Your lawnmower breaks down, and it's like, man, I just got to finish this lawn, you know? This is important. I got a game to watch or something. And so you go and borrow the neighbor's, you know, lawnmower, or you call up a friend, and you get it done. Or, you know, you're in your garage, you're trying to fix something, you don't have something, but you know your neighbor has it, and so you go and borrow that. And so it's real interesting, you know, we apply this principle so many times in our lives to our work and to our tasks. But yet, when it comes to our spiritual relationships— we often remain silent. Like we've got questions to ask, but we don't let anybody know about those questions. Or we need to do some work to figure some things out with God, but yet we don't say anything or we don't do the work because we feel like we can just go it alone with God. But yet when we look at this passage, this passage of this simple truth, two are better than one, that is a God idea. In the beginning, God said, it is not good for the man, fill in your husband's name or anybody, you know, male, uh, to be alone, right? You know, it is not good for us to be alone. God never designed us to go it alone. He never designed us, um, I mean, he designed us that we can't grow in our relationship with God without the helps of others. So circles are a great way to be able to ask for help. Circles are a great way to be able to ask the questions that we're pondering. Circles are a great way to get that support, to help us to do the work that's necessary to figure out for ourselves exactly who God is. When we're learning about God, it is only possible for us to learn about him in circles because our view is often just segmented or it's limited. But when we include others, especially those who are walking with him, then it helps to expand our limited view of who God is, and we're able to figure out what we need to do. And so um, for us, regardless of where you're at on the spectrum, you've got to be in relationships. You've got to be in circles to help you grow in your relationship 
with God. And so, now unfortunately, you know, King Solomon, he knew this. I mean, he, he was here at the end of his life and he had stopped doing these things. And so he's writing these things uh, for us to find out about. But he found out the hard way. He found out that his relationships were in trouble. He found out that his relationship with God was in trouble. And he wrote these things down in the latter part of his life, at least for us to be able to learn from. So let's continue on. In verse nine, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. So let me unpack this observation for us by asking us some questions. You don't need to respond out loud. But how many of you have ever seen someone fall? I mean, how many of you have ever seen someone like get so sick that it, it really impacts the health of their life and they are no longer able to be the person that they were. How many of you have ever seen someone go through financial issues that just hit them so hard it took their feet out from under them? How many of us have seen a husband or a wife fall morally and no one was there to help them out? Or how many of us have ever um, just been able to, you know, be hit uh, and fall because of an alcohol addiction or a drug addiction? And here's what's really, you know, just sad, you know? Going through those things are tough, but going through them alone is even tougher. And sometimes the hardest part to watch is that sometimes the only people who respond in a situation like that is sometimes family. But we know that that can be messy. And so in this observation, what Solomon is saying is he's observing in this in life that any one of us can fall. Falling is not biased. Falling does not discriminate. Anyone can fall. And so the question that he has behind this observation is, is there anyone who will help pull you up? And so that's a question that I would like to ask you. I mean, don't answer out loud, but is there someone right now in your life that would be able to help pull you up? Is there someone in your life, a group of people, when you say, oh, I'm fine, that you've given permission to lean in and to dig and say, hey, I don't think you're really fine. Is there a group of people that would be there if you fell? If you fell financially, if you fell morally, if you fell with something that just hits you, is there someone that would be there to be able to help pull you up? And hear what Solomon says. Solomon says, I feel so bad for the person who does not have people in their lives to walk with them through this, because at some point, we are all going to fall in some manner or in some shape, because that's what he's experienced himself. Now let's continue to keep going. Verse 11. All right. He kind of takes a different direction here and he's got some traveling language here, but verse 11. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? So what's going on here? Um, sounds like kind of like single days. You know, some of my buddies who use this as an excuse with their parents, I was just trying to say warm, uh, but Okay, that was not what's going on here. Uh, Back then, when you traveled, you traveled with a traveling companion because it was for safety. I mean, it was a dangerous world. You didn't have a car, there were no highways, you walked by foot, and it was treacherous along that journey as well. And so at night, like, you didn't take everything you owned, you didn't have suitcases or anything like that. So if somebody had a blanket, it's like, hey, it was just common 
let's use the blanket together and let's keep our body heat going and let's stay warm because it got cold in Israel. So that's what's going on here. But it kind of reminded me back of my single days. Um, and there's something that I really want to speak to, especially because I know we've got a lot of singles in the crowd, but really for all of us as well, because this is so important. And don't worry, you know, I'm not going to like trash singles or, you know, I'm not going to say married couples, like, give me an amen or something like that. So it's a safe environment. All right. We've all been single and everything. But here's what I uh, brought to mind, something that is so important for us to hear. See, when I was single, there was a lot of freedom in that. I mean, if you wanted to go on a mission trip, it was so easy just to be able to go on a mission trip. You didn't have to think about your kids. You didn't have to think about your spouse or anything. Um, if you had a job and you, uh, it kind of was plateauing, it was real easy just to go get another job. Yeah, it was hard, but you, know, you didn't have to think about uprooting your family or what this would mean to your kids and their friends and all those things. I mean, when I visited the refrigerator, it was real easy. There's my leftovers, you know, all right? They're in the fridge. Nobody and touch them. So I get that, you know? I mean, it is uh, really cool to be single because there's a lot of freedom. But the downside of that freedom is that there's no one in our lives to help us refine ourselves. So get this. When Sarah and I were dating, um, there was a moment after we'd been dating for a while, she was like, hey, Tim, can I just point something out to you? I'm like, sure, yeah, you know? She's like, hey, when we interact with people, there's something that you do that, you know, I'm just not sure if you're really adding value to people. I'm like, whoa, okay, what is it, you know? And so she told me, and I'm like, okay, all right. So later on when I went home, I was like, hey, let me call up my old friend here, all right? So I called up one of my old buddies, and I said, hey, I'm just curious, I know I haven't talked to you in a while, but hey, I know this is gonna sound strange, but there's a certain thing that you know somebody said, and uh, is that true? And I'll never forget this. All of a sudden there was a pause. And then my friend just started laughing. I mean, he started laughing his head off. And I'm like, oh, okay, is this good or what? And he said, Tim, we used to make fun of you so much for doing that all the time behind your back. And I was like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, are you serious? No one, not one of you told me about that. And he's like, yeah, so sorry. It was just kind of, everybody knew it. We all just kind of laughed at you, you know? But here's the important thing, okay? When you are single, you have to be very intentional with finding people who care about you, who have your back, who are good companions, and it is tough to find that. And so if you are single, you've got to be very intentional about putting yourself in circles to let people speak into your life, to give them permission because they have your back and you have their back. You see, the issue with marriage is that there's not a lot of like marriage issues. Here's the issue. The issue is that there's a lot of us singles that go into marriage with problems. And if you speak to many of us who've been married, we would say, yep, you know what? That was my issue. That was my issue. And if we were able to get into those circles that cared about us, that spoke truth into our lives, that were watching out for us, then our relationships would have been better. And so if you are single, I can't tell you the value of getting into a relationship intentionally into a small group that you find relationships that really care about you, that are watching your back. Because you are in a place where it's so easy to have a lot of freedoms. And with that freedom, often we don't work on ourselves.
Now Solomon continues, and he gets that, and he's got some powerful reminders for us in these next couple of verses that are coming. And he continues on, and here's the first powerful reminder. Verse 12, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Now, here's the reality that Solomon is trying to bring out in this traveling imagery, okay? So he uses the word overpowered, and, you know, some of us are like, oh, you know, don't get that. Um, so there's an equivalent English word to that that you can interchange, and uh, someone help me out. It starts with over, over. Oh, somebody said it. overwhelmed. Yes, that's exactly. So let's put that into this verse because we can. It's very easy to be able to do that and acceptable. So though one may be overwhelmed, two can defend themselves because there's going to be a season in our lives where we will get overwhelmed. It's not a question of if, but when. And so when we look at life, the longer that you and I live, we're constantly reminded how tough this life is. There will always be family issues. There will always be, you know, families that are fighting. There will always be kids that are running over their parents or over teachers or over people. You know, unfortunately, we live in a time where we're seeing less money come in and more money going out. And we also see that there's things that we just can't control that happen to us on a regular basis. And so what Solomon is saying, he's saying in this, there's going to be so many moments that are going to be overwhelming for you, and you need someone in your life to walk with you through them. And so someone that can help spot trouble, someone who can, you know, call it out and let you know about that. And so that's what he's observing in that passage. Then he continues on and he uses some really important imagery here, something that maybe we've heard before, and maybe you've heard this saying before, and this is where it comes from. Um, verse 12, though one may be overwhelmed, two can defend themselves. And here's the saying, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Now we're going to camp out on this for a while, okay, because this is really important. So I'm going to elaborate on the power of circles in our lives from several different angles that I'm going to share with you. So the first angle that I want to share with you is that there are sometimes that there are times that problems can be seen by someone else that we can't see. And so let me give you some examples. Don't raise your hands on this one or anything like that. But have you ever been around a couple that has like kids and as you're with that couple and their kids, all of a sudden it's like, wow, it's the circus and they're just out of control. And yet that couple kind of says, um, you know, that's okay. That's just what they are. It'll be all right later on. And you're just thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, you are in trouble later on in life. You know, I mean, some of names are popping in your minds right now and stuff, or some of you, you know, you go out with a couple and you listen to him talk about her and you're like, did he just say that? Or did she just say that about him? And you know what's going to happen. I mean, you know, wow, that's not good. If they're doing that on a regular basis, like that's not going to be good for their relationship. Or sometimes you're with a couple and he says something to her and she just kind of excuses it away. Now you're thinking about people. I mean, you're not professional, you know, we're not counselors, but you just know what's going to happen. And here's what's happening right now. You know, some of your names are popping in mind and stuff like that. And some of your names are popping in other people's minds as well. Because 
We all have problems, okay? All right, all of us have problems. You have problems. I have problems. We all have problems, but yet we want to hide and we want to say we don't have any problems, you know? And so I think a first good step would for all of us to admit that, not that I have problems, but we have problems, okay? Um, so together, just look at your neighbor, a little fun here. Just look at them and say, I have problems. One, two, three. Man, way to go. That's awesome. Wait a second. I heard somebody say, you have problems. That's not good. <laughs> Oh, all right, we'll work on you. But anyways, here's the power of circles, all right? The power of circles is that you invite someone that you trust into your life who can point things out before it becomes a problem, who cares about you. And so is there someone, you know, that when you, the power of getting into a small group is that you can develop those relationships. You know that that's what they're aiming for. You're aiming for that, but you just have to give them permission. They have to give you permission. They've got your back. You've got their back. That's the power of circles. Now, let me focus on the second aspect of uh, how powerful circles are. Okay. So, Circles are powerful because they are preventative. Now, what does that mean, okay, that they're preventative? Now, some of you, believe it or not, are actually good drivers out in the audience, okay? And so, yep, I know what they're saying about you. You know, I, I see you drive out of here, but there are actually some of you <clears throat> who are good drivers, and you don't know how many accidents you have avoided because you're a good driver. And we will never know how many accidents that you have avoided because you are a good driver. We can't keep track of that stat, all right? That's how prevention works. Now, here's the really cool thing. We have, from birth all the way to high school, just over 200 kids every Sunday that meet together. And we are real intentional with creating circles in those environments as early as the age of two. We ask our volunteers, would you serve one and would you attend one? Would you be consistent at one service when you serve and would you attend the other so that you can build relationships with these kids? And here's what happens, and this is what you are part of. There's a lot of you who are small group leaders who do this, and you are part of being about prevention for these kids' lives. Because how many kids... Lives will be different because you partner with their parents. You're there for them each week. You're telling them about God. You're showing them with your lives. You're able to answer their questions for them. For some of you, you know, the power of prevention is when you meet with these kids, that they see your example, and you're going to save some of these kids from ever wanting to maybe drink while they're driving because they see your example and they see your influence in their lives. There are some young ladies who will never go through an unwanted pregnancy because of the example of their small group leader or the positive peer pressure that they experience in their circle. And we will never know the good from that. We will never be able to measure that, but we know that good things happen in circles and that prevention absolutely happens because there are good relationships that are being built, those that care about each other and those that are watching each other's back. And some of you experience that. You don't know that you experience that. Some of you are in uh, community groups and small groups with men, women, and couples. And because you are in that group, you will never experience something bad in your life because you will never go through maybe anxiety or depression because you see God in a different light because you've been in that group. 
and you go down this way instead of that way. For some of you, you will never have relationship issues because you're growing in your relationship with God and your spouse is growing in their relationship with God as well. For some of you, you, you something happens in life where you might get overwhelmed in life because you are in a group. There's someone there who's been through that issue and can help you out. Instead of getting overwhelmed, you can see what they did. You can ask them for advice, and it will save you from getting overwhelmed in life because circles are better than rows. And then one final thing that I want to bring out is sometimes in life, you're just going to experience something that no one is ever going to see happen. Now, recently, Sarah and my wife, we had a little bit of a scare in our family. So Daniel, who was born um, via C-section, uh, our third child, Caleb, when we came home from the hospital, all of a sudden got a temperature, and it was like 104.4. And it's like, what, what, what's going on? All right, we, we tried to isolate our kids before going to the hospital, you know, so they don't get sick. You know, we got three of them, and here comes our fourth one while we we're in the hospital. Um, you know, told in-laws, don't take them anywhere, don't do anything, you know. Um, and so all of a sudden, come home, and Caleb the next day gets a temperature of 104.4. It's like, ah. So I take him to the doctor because it's like, he can't be around Daniel. You know, we got to figure out what's going on. So they said, well, it might be viral. Something viral is going on this summer with a lot of kids. We've been seeing them. But let's just test him for strep. Well, he tests positive for strep. I'm like, oh, where did he get strep from? You know, it's the summer. And so they put him on an antibiotic. They put Audrey and Trevor on an antibiotic because we're like, I'm not sure if they're feeling sick or something. But we don't need strep going around the family, especially with Daniel in the house. And so um, after 10 days... Caleb still has a temperature. And it's like, what's going on with him? So I take him back to the doctor. And at that time, Sarah had already been to the doctor for Daniel and Caleb was there. And so the doctor kind of rechecked him and oh, it should go away and stuff. So third time in, and he still has a temperature. And the doctor's like, well, let's run some other tests. And they come back positive. He's got a bacteria infection and he's also got another viral thing going on. It's like, oh my goodness. All right, so let's put him on a stronger antibiotic and you know, fight the bacteria infection. And so another 10 days of a stronger antibiotic. Well, at the end of 10 days, he still has a fever. And it's at night, and it's spiking up. And it's like, what is going on with him? So we take him back, and she does a thorough examination. And she starts using words like, I'm not exactly sure what's going on with him. Like, he's had a fever for 20 days. That shouldn't be happening with him. So we're going to need to start doing some tests on him. Now, to make a long story short, it took about four weeks and three different types of tests, chest x-rays, blood work two times. The fever's not going away. They thought it would dissipate over the next four weeks. It's not dissipating. It's still there. What is going on? Let's retest them. Let's make sure that there's no false negatives because now we're starting to talk about things that keep going that are fevers, and we're talking about leukemia. We're talking about an autoimmune disease. We're talking about maybe just a fever that's unexplained origin, but it's something that could be serious, and we need to start ruling all those things out. Now, during that whole time, our community group was amazing. During that time, they arranged for meals to be delivered ever so often, which took tons of pressure off of us as we had a sick kid trying to keep him away from Daniel, trying to keep him away from Sarah. You know, we don't know what's going on with Caleb, our two and a half year old. And so they provided meals. Every doctor's appointment, we've got a phone call, we got a text, how to go, what can we pray for you? They even had somebody come and clean our house. 
Because in that moment, we were feeling pretty overwhelmed. But yet they came along, and it didn't feel as overwhelming. Now, the good news is that all of Caleb's tests were negative, okay? So he is doing good. But I know this. If Caleb had tested positive for something very serious, that we would have a small group of people who would be there for us. And that's why Sarah and I, for over 16 years, have been a part of couples groups. Because we know at some point in life, it's going to be tough. At some point in life, there will be a temptation to fall. And so Sarah and I have always been in a group where somebody knows our name, where they know our story. If life gets tough, that they will walk with us, that they are there for us, that they will call us out if we need to be called out, that we continue to learn from them and see God in a greater light because of them, and we have become better Christ followers because of many people from our past. And so my question for us today is, is there someone in your life who can help pull you up? Is there someone, when you think about it, think about it in this way. In your past, you have a story. And in that story, there have been many moments that have been very tough. What would the difference would have been made if you had someone there who had your back? What difference would have made if someone in those overwhelming moments stepped in to help you out? And think about it in this way, a different light, different angle. Many of us have had parents who have sat in rows and not in circles. Many of us have had parents who have uh, gotten divorced, but yet many of them attended church and sat in rows. What difference would it have made in your father's life if he had been in a circle and those guys would have called him out on his stuff? What difference would it have made if your mother was around a group of women who were there for her as he left? You know, many of our parents sat in rows and not in circles. They sang the songs, they put some money in the offering plates as they were passed, but yet they got overwhelmed in life. And for most of them, it's because they sat in rows and they never got involved in circles. And so my question for us today is, what do you want your future to be like? Do you want it to be like your parents who sat in rows and sang songs? Or do you want to be part of circles that God originally designed us for, to do life with one another, to care for one another, to be there for one another? to help each other grow in our relationship with God. And so today we have two opportunities for you to jump into circles. Today, right after the service, we are having an informational meeting for Starting Point. And Starting Point is for anyone who's checking out God. It's a safe place to do that. For any of you who started a relationship with Jesus and are following him now, for any of you who are new to Epic and never been part of any of our groups, it's only eight weeks. Would you? Give it a try for eight weeks and begin to experience community. We make it real easy. We meet on that side of the cafeteria. There's a cafeteria on that side of the wall as well in the teacher's lounge. We've got a starting point during the 9.15 service, during the 11 o'clock service, so you can go to starting point and still go to church as well. And then we've got tonight our five-week group experience. And so that gives you, we try to allow you to be able to sample what you would experience normally in a home for five weeks. And for men, for women, for couples, 
And so we try to make it really easy. We, make it, we try to make it so easy that we even offer childcare for that for fifth grade and below at four o'clock this afternoon. So would you commit to giving it a try for five weeks? It's five weeks, it's five hours, or it's an hour and a half. But anyways, it's close enough. But would you give it a shot? Would you get into circles rather than being in rows? And so today I'm going to close us in a word of prayer. And I would like you to make a commitment about moving into circles and out of rows. So let's go ahead and close. So Father, thank you so much for today. God, we thank you that you care so much about us. You never want us to be isolated. God, Solomon wrote about that. I mean, he ignored the wisdom that you gave him and he found that out at the end of his life and he regretted it, God. And so, God, thank you for writing that down for us. I mean, it just feels like common sense, but, God, when we don't do this, when we ignore what you say, it's not good. We know something is missing. So, Father, I just pray for each person here. God, if they are not involved in a group, would they jump into a group? Give it a shot. And so, Father, we just thank you for who you are, that you never want us to feel alone or isolated and God, you've designed us to grow in our relationship with you through others. And so we thank you that you've designed it that way. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here, and we will see you next week.